Hey everybody, welcome to SG Squared. Glad you joined us for this episode. In this particular one, we're gonna be talking about how small groups just aren't a program in the church, but they are a powerful discipleship tool that your church has. As you know, we talk about temple courts and house to house, and the house to house movement is your discipleship engine. Now we're gonna cover so many things about the transformational power of small groups, but the important thing to understand is that it needs to happen in your own group. And as we go through this material, I want you to start thinking through, okay, how does this pertain to where my small group is and what am I doing in my own group? Now, as we talk about a number of things in this episode, I want you to be thinking through that in the show notes, if we refer to planners or to videos or anything like that, make sure you go into those show notes and understand that that material is there for you to take this from just being a podcast that you listen to but something that can transform your small groups and help you make them a discipleship engine. I want you to enjoy as we take a little flashback on this particular episode, but it's great content that will help you make the discipleship tool powerful in your small group. How do you disciple people and not just lead groups? More times than not, the little snapshot you saw between Raymond and Allie occurs many times in our spiritual journey. And what happens is, is we get to this zone where we make up answers or we try to avoid it or we just try not to deal with it and pretend it's not there. But how do you take your people deep inside group? The first thing, the first question right there, or the first point on page 59 is get clear about the desired outcome, and that is health. Circle that word health. Unless you know what the target is, there is no way you can begin to hit it. And so for us to disciple people is health. Now, what is that? Look at 2 Corinthians. And it says, as the Spirit of the Lord works within us, we become more and more like Him and reflect, circle the word reflect, reflect His glory even more. For us, what we're trying to do is give emphasis to all five purposes. When we're trying to find health, like I said, we we want the five purposes to reflect inside of your heart and inside of your group. The goal of discipleship is transformation, not more information. The cognitive knowledge is important, but most believers in America know far more than they're putting into practice. When I have a small group come up and say, hey, what's another book study that uh, I, I can work with? And I say, well, what was the last one you did? And they'll say, you know, some book of the Bible. And I say, what did you put into practice from the, that book? Oh, uh, nothing. Uh, but we're just trying to, you know, get through the books of the Bible. And I keep on saying, go back to the last study. And once you're applying something, once you're getting transformed by it, don't move on. And then regularly cast vision for holistic discipleship. And that is where we're talking about the being part and the balance. Buddy, who I'm going to introduce in a few moments, will help us talk about the being side and then some of the balance we use in curriculum. And then evaluate against health, not attendance. I don't care how often people go to group. I care about how healthy they are. How much How are, do they, I mean, do they have a health plan and are they working that plan? 
I love Galatians 4.19. It says, My dear children, for whom I am again in the pains of childbirth, until Christ is formed in you. When Paul's talking here, that word formed is more like a metamorphosis. The over time, we become more and more like Christ. Now, I want you to do this exercise around your tables. And just think of the first question right here. I want you to huddle up and who do you have a relationship with that has made a significant impact on your spiritual growth? And specifically, what did they do to bring spiritual growth in your life? Who and what did they do to bring spiritual growth in your life? Instead of doing it around your table, save a little time, pair up in twos and share who's in your life and what have they done to bring spiritual growth in you? Huddle up right now. Take a couple minutes. Okay, let me pull you back in. Don't make me pray again. <laughs> Tap your neighbor, say he's trying to talk. All right, not so much the who. Not so much the who. But what did they do to bring spiritual growth in your life? A couple people from this section. They showed you Jesus. They loved unconditional. They talked honestly. What they modeled. They asked the hard questions back there. They gave time. Right there. They exhibited consistency every day. Try and say that a couple times. Right there. Was that? Invited to holiness. If I went across this room and asked the same question to every single person, notice it wasn't a sermon I heard. It wasn't a radio broadcast. But throughout this whole auditorium, that if you want to see health happen, the thing you learn from this question is it's done relationally. So whatever your desired outcome, you need to realize it's not something that you just taught. I love Wayne Cadero. He has this great quote. He says, you teach what you know but you reproduce what you are. You teach what you know, you reproduce what you are. So as you're looking at this first question, to get clear about the desired outcome, at Saddleback, it is balancing those five purposes in our life. But what you need to ask is these questions at the bottom of the page is, what would a disciple look like? What are the key practices that stimulate spiritual growth? What is the delivery system for discipleship in your church? And what role do groups play in the discipleship process? Buddy Owens is uh, our discipleship pastor. It probably makes him cringe when I'm up here teaching about discipleship. Uh, but he is, um, he's just not only a good person and he's just well known. I mean, he's done the stadium events with Promise Keepers. But I think one of the most powerful things is he's got this little book called Way of a Worshipper. And he did a small group curriculum that is just unbelievable. And what I love about him is his heart. So, and he's also going to be leading you in night of worship tomorrow night. So I just wanted you to be able to get to know, who is this guy? I mean, I see his bald head. 
But uh, who is this guy and uh, what is he about? So I want you to get, a, get to know his heart just a little bit. So he's going to do a few of the points with me. So could you welcome Buddy Owens, please? <clears throat> Hi, everybody. Well, I, I have to tell you, I'm, I'm, I'm hoping that what I have to say will be um, understandable, not just because it makes sense, but because I won't mumble. I, I spent the morning uh, at the dentist today. Yeah, as you can all groan for me. You know, it's bad when you go into the dentist's office and he begins to hum, crown him with many crowns. <laughs> so I sat in the chair, I opened my mouth. I shouldn't be going into all this, but I feel like it anyway. So I, sit, I opened my mouth and he looks in and he goes, Hmm. Hmm is not what you want to hear from the dentist. I said, what do you mean, hmm? What do you see? He goes, well, let's see. Uh, I see my house payment. And look, there's a boat payment. And right over here is my kid's college tuition. And I'm thinking, great, there goes my house payment. And it looks like my kids are going to go to junior college. Anyway, so that was my morning. And, and it's all sort of wearing off right now. So I have this tingling sensation in the side of my face. Okay, where were we? Oh, we were in spiritual growth being relational. Uh, we're on uh, page 60. Spiritual growth is more caught than taught. Spiritual growth is more caught than taught. For something to be caught, it has to be passed. Just like playing football. For something to be caught, it has to be passed. So we pass on spiritual growth. It's not just information and data. It's something that we pass on relationally, handing off from one person to another. And Jesus made and he modeled discipleship relationally. Look at Mark 3.14. It says he appointed 12 and designated them apostles. Why? So that they might be with him. Not so that he could just dump information into their heads, but so that they might be with him. And because they'd been with him, then that he might send them out to preach. When I started looking over these notes, and Steve asked me to, to bring this, this material, I was looking over and I realized that there are three relationships that emerge in small groups. And maybe some of you have heard Howard Hendricks talk about these things before. He says that everybody needs a Paul, everybody needs a Barnabas, and we all need a Timothy in our lives. You all know those relationships? And as I looked over this, I realized that those three relationships begin to emerge in how we do small group life. First, let's look at the Paul relationship. This is where you are living as an example for other people to follow. Look what Paul said in 1 Corinthians 11.1. 1. He said, you should follow my example just as I follow Christ. And Peter said the same kind of thing in 1 Peter 5.3. He says, don't lord it over people assigned to your care but lead them by your good example. And then I want you to write down in your notes there, just write down this reference. You can look it up later. Hebrews 13, 7. Just write down Hebrews 13, 7. Let me read it to you. It says, remember your leaders who spoke the word of God to you. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Consider not just what they say. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. So here's the question that all of us have to ask ourselves. Do I have a faith that's worth imitating? In my relationships, my Paul relationships in my small group, where I'm leading people along who maybe aren't as far along in their relationship with Christ, do I have a faith that's worth imitating? Do they look at me and say, I want to live that guy's spiritual life? 
if it were possible for somebody to have your spiritual life for 72 hours, when the 72 hours was over, would they want to give it back? Or would they want to hang on to it? Do I have a faith that's worth imitating? Dallas Willard says, as a leader, the greatest gift you give people is who you are becoming in Christ. People follow you for who you are, not for what you do. So I have to come back to what Paul said in 1 Corinthians. Can I say, as Paul said, follow me as I follow Christ? You see, small group life enables us as people who are Paul's, it enables us to lead what, what Henry Nouwen calls incarnational leadership, where you live out the life of a leader within the body of Christ. You're not separated from them. You're not keeping your distance. You're not some high and exalted, untouchable, unattainable spiritual giant. But instead, you're in the midst of the life of people. You're touchable. Your faith is attainable by others, and it allows us to live in flesh and blood our Christianity with other people who are looking to us in our small group, in our experience. They're looking to us to say, how do you follow Jesus? Can you show me how to do that? So we all have this responsibility. It's, it's like the difference between a, between a travel agent and a tour guide. A travel agent just hands out brochures to places he's never visited. But a tour guide leads people to places out of his own experience. The travel agent points the way, but a tour guide leads the way. And as Paul's, we have the opportunity in our small groups to be tour guides, to lead people to God encounters, to say, I know the way you're going. I've been that way before, and here's how I met the Lord. So this idea of spirituality is not just something you're teaching. It's something that you're passing on to others out of your own experiences. So we all need to be a Paul, but we also need someone to be a Paul for us. We all need to be learning from others who are further down the road than we are and who can show us the way to walk. But look here in your notes what it says. In order to be a Paul, leaders must take time to feed their own souls. Now, why is that important? Because, and you might want to just circle this, star this, highlight this, whatever it might be, because this is, this is critical right here. It is possible to do ministry in such a way and at such a pace that your work for God can destroy the work of God in you. You ever found that possible? You're so busy in the ministry that there's nothing happening in your own life. It's like the guy who says, I didn't have time to pray today because I was late for a prayer meeting. You know? We just get so busy with all of the stuff of ministry. And so here's what happens. We're so filled with activity that when religious activity takes the place of spiritual intimacy, the heart begins to harden and you start to burn out and you start to become jealous for the spiritual intimacy that other people experience. And the fear is, well, if I don't do all of this work, well, then nothing's going to get done. But the truth is, if I don't spend time with Jesus, nothing I do is going to matter. But it's possible for us to spend so much energy working for the Lord that the work of the Lord in us begins to dissipate and our spiritual life begins to 
shriveled. And then we have nothing that we can hand off to pass off to other people because spiritual growth is not just taught. It has to be caught. It takes me back to the question. Do I have a faith worth imitating? Are people going to look at my Christian life and say, man, I don't want any of that. This guy is stressed out. He's burned out. His heart is hard. I don't want any of that. Or am I showing the way by having a healthy personal touch with Christ, spending time daily with my Heavenly Father? Leaders must, must authentically share from their own journey because you can't lead people where you're not going yourself. In order to lead somebody, you have to be at least one step ahead of them. You know, it's like Pastor Rick likes to say, if you think you're leading people and nobody's behind you, then you're only taking a walk. <laughs> you got to be at least one step ahead of folks. And, we, and, and people want authentic leadership. People don't want to learn from concepts. They want to learn from relationships. That's why Jesus didn't come as a concept. He became one of us so that we could become like he is. People learn from people. They want to learn from relationships. And that's why it's so important for us to, to know that spiritual growth is something that is caught. It's handed off. It's passed off. It's not just information that is taught to other people. And we pass on spirituality not just in our words, but by sharing our real life experiences. That's why this idea of incarnational leadership, as a Paul, as every one of us has the opportunity to live our Christian life in community, then people can weep with us, they can laugh with us, they can share our joys and our sorrows, they can pray with us, pray for us, and they can see how we are experiencing Christ through our own life experiences. Now, it's also important for small group ministry directors to provide spiritual growth tools and resources, and I'm going to talk about those things in a few minutes, but I just want to hammer home again how important it is for each of us to be living the Christian life so that we can model the Christian life and then hand off and pass off what it is to be a follower of Christ to others who are following us, just as Paul said. On page 61, page 61 says, you impress from a distance, but you impact up close and personal. You impress from a distance, but you impact up close and personal. First Thessalonians 2, 11 and 12 says, for you know that we dealt with each of you as a father deals with his own children. Notice it's not as a boss deals with his employees or as a teacher deals with his students. It's a father dealing with his children, encouraging, comforting, and urging you to live lives worthy of God who calls you into his kingdom and glory. See, parents don't just impress their kids. They impact their lives by demonstration, by setting an example. Now, one of the ways that we can impact a person up close and personal is by what we call here spiritual partners. You'll see that in your notes. A spiritual partner. This is the Barnabas relationship. Barnabas is, is your peer in Christ, is someone that you're walking hand in hand or side by side with. A Barnabas is a person who loves you, but who is not impressed by you. It's someone who's not afraid to speak truth to you. 
A spiritual partner is somebody that will hold you accountable to the commitments you make, that will support and encourage you. It's someone who's not afraid to tell you the truth. We all need a Barnabas in our life, someone to walk alongside of us, someone we can bounce our learnings off of and learn together. And we have Barnabas relationships in our small groups. We all have them. The men and women that we've known for years and years, and we've been doing life together with them for all of these years, those are the Barnabas relationships. And the, the unfortunate thing is that most people don't have somebody in their life who's willing or who loves them enough to tell them the truth. We have an obligation. We not only need a Barnabas, we all have an obligation to be a Barnabas. We all need a Paul, we all must be a Paul. We all need a Barnabas, and we all must be a Barnabas. Now the third relationship uh, is this Timothy relationship. And this is a younger man or a woman that you can pour your life into. And this is what we call life-on-life -life discipleship. And there's these questions in life-on-life -life, uh, discipleship that we have in your notes. The first question you ask is, well, who are you? And this is where you start to hear somebody's life story. And then you ask them, well, how are you? And this is where they begin to share their dreams and their hopes and their needs and their challenges with you. And then the last question is, now how can I help you? And that's when you begin the process of mentoring somebody, of raising up a Timothy, of pouring your life into a younger man or a younger woman. And we all have the opportunity to do that in small group life. In my group, we had a guy who was a Timothy. We had a guy in our group who wasn't even a follower of Christ. His wife had been a Christian for about a year, and she dragged this guy along into our group. And after about eight weeks, in fact, after eight weeks of doing a, a mission outreach together, here's a man who doesn't know Jesus, doesn't follow him, but he's doing a mission project with us. And at the end of that project, he gave his life to Christ because he saw those of us who were Paul's to him he saw us living out our spirituality in front of him. He caught what we were passing on. It wasn't the Bible studies that convicted him of his sin. It wasn't the Bible studies that made him say, I gotta have this in my life. It was watching others of us who were following Christ and him experiencing with us our trials and hardships and successes and failures and joys and sorrows and all of that stuff. He saw us doing Christian life together in community and that's what he wanted so much. In fact, we had the privilege, there are two other pastors from the church in my group, and we had the privilege of baptizing him in the swimming pool at the backyard of one of the people in our group. So we all need to have a Timothy, but we all need to be a Timothy. You're never too smart to learn something new, right? You're never too old to learn something new. We all need to be a Paul, we all need to be a Barnabas, and we all need to be a Timothy. We all need to have a Paul. We all need to have a Barnabas. And we all need to have a Timothy. And those life-on-life, -life, touchable, attainable relationships are what enable us to pass on spiritual growth so that it's something that is caught and it's not just something that is caught. As your notes say, we need more than the Bible in order to grow. That may sound like heresy, but it isn't. We need other believers to help us grow. God never intended us to live the Christian life in solitude. We do it in community with each other. 
Look at this quote from Pastor Rick from The Purpose Driven Life. He says, many people assume all that is needed for spiritual growth is Bible study and prayer. But some issues in life will never be changed by Bible study or prayer alone. God uses people. And he usually prefers to work through people rather than to perform miracles so that we will depend on each other for fellowship. He wants us to grow together. Now let's look at the next page of your notes. Let me briefly cover these. The fourth point is to maintain a healthy spiritual diet. Maintain a healthy spiritual diet. So in order to do that, you've got to have a multiple, uh, multiple delivery systems. There's curriculum. There are resources on the web that you can find. There are workshops and seminars that you can go to with your small group to provide the kinds of uh, material that you can discuss in your small group. Um, I want to encourage I want to take a minute just to encourage you to utilize the power of video curriculum. We produce a lot of that around here. And they're different types. You can list them by purpose. You can say, you know, we need to do a study on ministry. So we're going to take this shape study and go through that with our group. Or we want to focus on the purpose of worship in our group. And so we'll do something like the way of a worshiper. So you can do them by purpose, but you can also do them by categories. And there are several different categories. One of those there listed is biblical passages and stories. So we produced a video curriculum, two volumes on 1 Thessalonians. We have a two-volume curriculum on the book of James. It's taught by Pastor Rick. There is a three-volume series, video series, on the Sermon on the Mount. So you have biblical passages and stories. Then there's doctrinal or apologetic kinds of studies. We have a series called Foundations, which is basically uh, uh, Systematic Theology 101. It just takes us through 11 core beliefs. So we sometimes mix that up. Then we have biblical stuff. Then we'll do a doctrinal study. Then you might do a life skill or an equipping kind of study, which takes us back to, um, uh, there's a study that we did with Gary Smalley on marriage called I Promise. There's another study we did with Pastor Rick and Chuck Colson called Wide Angle, and it's about worldview. But it's best if you mix these things up. So mix up your Bible study where you're going verse by verse and then bring in a topical and then maybe bring in a doctrinal and keep things mixed up so that people, it maintains their interest and and provides them with a balance in the kind of diet that you're giving them. The advantages to video curriculum is that it, it enables other people to become leaders. You'll find there are a lot of people who would love to lead a group. They have leadership skills and abilities. They have a heart for others, but they don't know how to teach the word. They may not have had the experience or they may not be far enough along in it themselves. If the teaching is on video, then they don't have to worry about being teachers anymore. Now they can focus on group life, on how to care for people because the teaching has already been taken care of. And the benefit to, to us as pastors is we don't have to be so worried about what's being taught in the small group because we know that the teaching is coming from qualified, educated folks who know how to present the material biblically and in doctrinally sound way. So there's a great strength to having video uh, curriculum. And there's a a website there in your, in your notes, thepurposedriven.com, where you can find a whole bunch of these video curriculum projects that we have uh, created here at, uh, at Saddleback Church. But we also want to say that, uh, and it goes back to something Steve said a minute ago, of using curriculum that helps people become doers of the word, not just hearers. And so in our studies, we always include action steps. 
What's the commitment you're going to make at the end of this week's study between now and the next time we gather? We ask them for an action step, and then when we gather back together, we all talk about how we fulfill the things we promised that we would do. So it's important that there are action steps, because otherwise you're just taking in stuff, but you're not really applying it in your life. Uh, and the community leaders uh, should know what their groups are studying, and then you can help host with their, with their curriculum choices. The point to all of this is this. Small group ministry is not just passing on head knowledge or information. In small groups, we focus on developing people, not just discussing a passage. We focus on people. We do life with each other. I want to show you a video about a small group here from Saddleback Church and how they have demonstrated the power of developing people. Watch this. Well, currently, I found myself with a diagnosis of, uh, of uh, animal carcinoma, which means uh, a chance for one of the cells inside of your body, like mine came out to be the pancreas. God was gracious in giving us nine months of getting to fall in love with Surgeon Nan before the storm hit last May. Sergio wanted more time here, but he he felt that Whatever God's will was is what, what he was very comfortable with. Well, our group supported them, I think, in many different ways. Uh, physically, we, we were there for them. We, we had parties with them. We spent time with them. We actually had some, uh, one of the men that actually mowed their yard. Uh, one, one couple mailed them a card every single day of the time they were sick. Well, what, what our small group has given me through this whole thing is his mental and uh, spiritual help. Uh, if it isn't uh, receiving a daily uh, devotional from someone, or having somebody call me up and say, read so-and-so, or so-and-so, this is for you today. And after I saw what, how the group responded to Nan and Sergio and their need, I felt like, wow, if anything happened to me, I felt like I would have that too, that they would be there for me. And that was an absolutely enormous feeling. We found out what it's like to be a team through, through a difficult time. Found out what it's like to have support where I'm weak, to allow my strengths to come out and support someone else. And so that the sum total of all, of all that together, we were just a lot more than any one of us could have ever thought. See, just the outcome of wearing of love. And it's all, it's all from God. I've had people at the house, uh, in an instant, almost an instant. As soon as one heard, there was a phone call, another phone call, Dory got a phone call. Next thing we know, we're having a prayer meeting at the house. We had 35 people there. And uh, there were some people I didn't even know. Our small group uh, learned an incredible lesson in honesty and interdependence through this that um, I don't think any of us will be the same again. We learned in, in a really practical way, Ecclesiastes 4, that uh, two are better than one. 
And throughout this experience and throughout the months before this even hit our, our small group, God was preparing us for this. and We didn't even realize it. We became 12 strands of a very tight, strong cord. Nan said so many times through this, I couldn't have made it. I couldn't have done it without our small group. They gave me so much comfort. And my heart overflows with gratitude and love for these people that the Lord has sent into our life. And through this time, they give us help. They give us hope. They have prayed for us constantly. And there is such a genuine caring there. And now our, our longest prayer has been answered and our dearest friends, Pat and Ken Stone, are going to be joining our small group. The Lord just worked through him that way to show us that his amazing faith was something that we wanted to. Some hearing about our experience would say, that's the exact reason I don't want to be in a small group. They want to have a safe emotional distance. But the truth is, life is messy, and it may not be terminal cancer, but everyone's life has problems. And the safest emotional distance we found is when you're bound with other believers who are loving and committed to you and where you can lovingly commit to others because life is just too short to go it alone. brother and we you made it quite an impression on our hearts and our minds and our souls and um, you're up there laughing right at us right now I know that so love you Sergio <laughs> and he would say I know Nan is never going to get over losing me but with God and the small group I know she'll get through it Is that a powerful video just about life change? I mean, when you look closely, you can see all five of the purposes that were developed in that video. Just to fast forward, that small group has already been on a couple peace trips, putting in water systems in different villages. Just to see them grow has just been phenomenal. Page uh, 63, number five. Don't underestimate growth moments in your group meetings. Don't underestimate the growth moments that you're going to have throughout your meetings. The first bullet point right there talks about facilitate for life change. Now you see two diagrams there. You're going to correct one of them. One is dispensing information. It is, I am talking all the time and you are listening. But the diagram on the right is when interaction happens, it facilitating transformation. So you have dispensing information or facilitating transformation. You know, have you ever been asked a question where the person asked you with such confidence that it just kind of threw you off a little bit? You knew the answer, but because they asked so boldly, you know, it threw you back. You know, and I was in one of these situations where we were having the transformation, a lot of discussion happening in our group, and we were talking about um, the New Testament and the, this one lady who I've known 
they'd been in our group for three years and they'd been a part of Saddleback for a number of years, looked right at me and with all intensity goes, where's Veronica in the New Testament? And all of a sudden I'm like going, Veronica, Veronica, Veronica. And my, my tapes were spinning. I'm going, Veronica. I, go, I, go, I had a girlfriend one time named Veronica, but that's not it. Uh, and I kept going, Veronica, Veronica. And then I'm like going, and all of a sudden it just clicked with me about what she was thinking of was the tradition that she had in her Catholic church of Veronica as a station at the cross. And I go, oh, Veronica is not in the New Testament, but it is part of your tradition that you're used to. And it great, brought great discussion about what's in our different church traditions and what's in the New Testament. And what's great is that this came out of conversation. And sometimes when you want to have growth moments happening, the best thing you can do is just listen to what the people are saying. Some of the other tips that are right there is, you know, I'm just going to highlight on a couple of them, but it's don't answer your own questions. You know, you, of course you know the answer. The whole purpose is to let them discuss it. Uh, get comfortable with silence and quiet. It was less than six seconds before you heard an uncomfortable giggle. And that was 10 seconds right there. The point is, when there's silence, the Holy Spirit is working. When you interrupt silence, you interrupt the Holy Spirit. So learn how to be still and be quiet. Because you've been thinking about the questions all week. Well, actually, if you're an honest small group leader, you've probably been thinking about the questions on the drive to the group. Uh, but the point is, you kind of know the answer. Let them have time to ingest it. The other thing I want you to uh, focus on right there, it's a very important thing, but it's so often overlooked in groups, and that is try to involve everyone. Try to involve everyone. So often, the person that's the quietest, it's that still waters run deep. And you just turn to the person and, and you say, um, you know, uh, hey, Mary, I, I haven't heard you say anything. Do you want to weigh in on this? Give them permission to, to weigh in or not. Or what do you think about this particular point? Give them an opportunity because the dominant people, like I said, they love to talk. And so what you got to do is spread the wealth around. On page 64, at the top of that page, it says, don't focus on getting through all the material Focus on what? Helping people grow spiritually. You want to be able to focus on people. The next bullet point there is teach hosts how to deal with sin issues. If you're not familiar with Matthew 18, 15 through 17, you need to memorize that scripture. Because small groups are a playground for the enemy to bring up all kinds of things like uh, divisiveness, like heresy and doctrinal issues, or gossip. Gossip is probably one of the greatest tools that the enemy has in his arsenal. And what I would encourage you to do is understand what gossip is. So everybody look up here. I want to give you this a quick teaching on gossip. If you're not part of the problem or part of the solution, you need to shut up. Okay, now some of you, you may need that in the King James. So if you're not part of the problem or part of the solution, 
you need to shutteth upeth. Okay? Here's what happens in group. You know, someone's going to say, you know, I probably shouldn't share this, but and like that, you need to be the group leader that says, well, great, then don't share it. Oh, no, I was just trying to alleviate my conscience because I really want to share this stuff. You know, and you've got to be the one that steps in and says, don't share it. Are you part of the problem? Are you part of the solution? Another place is in prayer time. You know, someone says, you know, I'd like to pray for Bill and Sally because I think there's some action going on between the two of them. And so could we just pray for them because I think they're doing the you another know, thing. So uh, let's just pray for them. That wasn't a prayer request. That was a gossip time. So you need to teach your groups on these issues. You want to facilitate for growth? Help them understand the biblical principles of Matthew 18. They have a problem. You go to that person. That person doesn't listen to you, bring somebody else. If then they don't listen to you, bring the church into it. But understand how you practice that. Number six, realize the power of words. Realize the power of words. I want you to look at this video because it demonstrates the beauty of encouragement in a couple different ways. Watch this. The words are powerful. The couple of ways I want you to look at, one in the ways of encouragement. And you need to ask yourself the question, where do your people get encouraged? Where do your people get encouraged? I love this passage in Hebrews 3. It says, but encourage one another daily, as long as it is called today, so that none of you may be hardened. I want you to circle that word. So none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. You know what that passage tells me? Encouragement has the power to restrain sin. Encouragement is a powerful tool, as you saw in the video. You need to write down these three phrases. A look, a word, a touch. A look, a word, a touch. Your people deserve your encouragement by looking at them, by paying attention to them, by giving them a word, a word that would breathe breath into their soul, and then a touch. It could be a handshake, a hand on the shoulder, a hug. Let's do it a little exercise. Everybody stand up. It's the afternoon. I need to pop you guys up. I want you to right now hug two people you don't know. Okay, you can be seated. Now, I know that there are two reactions that we just went through the room. One is, I'm not coming back tomorrow. (laughs) 
But the smarter ones are thinking, I'm sitting by somebody cute next time. <laughs> do it again tomorrow. Now, there's all kinds of hugs that you can do. Justin, where's, come here, Justin. Has he done an incredible job? Woo! And Justin's perfect for this. You know, you get the artsy, artsy people. <laughs> now, there's, a, there's this type of hug. There's the manly hug. It's the three-pat hug. It's the one, two, three. And what you're doing is you're just going like this. You're hugging, you're saying, I'm not gay. And, um... <laughs> Now there's another kind of hug, and out here in Southern California, it's called the, the Hollywood hug. And that's where you kind of hug and kiss, and, but you're kind of looking for somebody else better looking or nicer. So you're just kind of like, going, oh, yes, there's another person over there, and you kind of go through. There's a lot of them. Get out of here, man. <laughs> Give Justin a hand. You know, as an Argentino, it's interesting because when the men hug, they kiss. And it was just, it's like, whoa, I mean, there's a little bit of power behind that, not in like a goofy way, but I mean, it was just a, you know, there, there was a bonding that happened right there. Now I got, you know, very abrasive because I'm not used to hugging people that closely or kissing when I hug uh, a man to, um, you understand, uh, the cheeks are usually softer. Uh, but you know, but that was a different kind of hug. There's like the side-by-side hug or, you know, the A-frame hug where you hug people like this that you're, you're very intimidated with. Um, the thing I love is, you know, you don't know Justin, but when Justin, you know, kind of hugs me, he, he kind of like squeezes my butt. And uh, I mean, just looking at the dude, you know he needs therapy. So anyways, yeah, you just got to take it from there. However, I do get all my eight meaningful touches when I hug Justin. So it's pretty cool. So I just love it. But encouragement, you can do it many different ways. Resolving conflict, the power of words to resolving conflict. I love this phrase right here. It says, there is no intimacy without conflict. And everybody who's been married longer than a week says, amen. Groups and marriages are often scared to death by conflict. So we do everything to avoid it. Nothing ever gets resolved. Nobody grows. We just make nice. Question, what is it in your group that's an issue but nobody wants to talk about? This is a major barrier to real fellowship, real relationship. The strongest marriages and the strongest groups are ones that grow through conflict and resolution, not by pouting, not by covering up, but by dealing honestly with issues. And what you need to be able to do is face conflict head on. It never goes away. If you look at the top of page 66, it's the ABCs of conflict resolution. Ask God for direction, be praying for the people involved, and care enough to confront. And inside that, you can just write the whole Matthew 18, verses 15 through 17. You see, conflict is like the idiot lights in your car. You know those little lights that show up on your dashboard? Some of them say like, uh, it's an oil light or check engine light comes up. Some of your cars have the check windshield wiper fluid. I mean, all that tells me is your car's way too expensive. Uh, but anyways, for the rest of us who just get the oil light and the check engine light, what happens there is when those lights come on in your car, it's saying there's a deficiency somewhere in your car and it needs attention. 
When you have conflict in your group, it's not a bad thing. What it's saying is there's something that needs attention in your group. And probably more times than not, it's going to be communication. And you need to deal with it in Matthew 18. And the last little part right there is truth-telling. And I love this proverb. It says, an honest answer is a sign of true friendship. Here's a little rule of thumb. No trust, no truth. You see, some people in your group feel they have the spiritual gift of telling the truth. I mean, they feel like, oh, that's just my job. I got to tell to them like it is. But here's the rule. If you want to see change happen in people, when you have trust, you can speak truth. If you don't have the trust, it doesn't matter how much truth you have. If you feel passionate about saying something to somebody and you feel you have the truth, earn the trust and then you can speak the truth, which will bring change. And then number seven, constantly and consistently encourage spiritual next steps. Encourage spiritual next steps. I love Microsoft used to have a logo line that says, where do you want to go today? I love that logo line for our small groups, asking them spiritually, where do you want to go today? See, the problem is, is we never give people next steps. One of the people you're going to meet on Thursday is my neighbor, Kathy, who came to know Christ as her Lord and Savior. And it was so cool. She's a single parent mom. There's a whole story behind it that I'll tell on Thursday. But it's so cool because when she, became, when she came to know the Lord, I said, uh, well, you know what your next step is? And she goes, well, I didn't know there was one. And I go, yeah, you mean when you become a follower of Christ, uh, you have a next step. And she goes, oh, what is it? And I go, well, you need to be baptized and, you know, express to the world that, you know, that's, you know, that you're a follower of Christ, that you're part of Christ's family. And she goes, is that the dunking thing? And I go, yeah, that's the dunking thing. And she goes, I don't do the dunking thing. And so I said, that's no problem. I go, just pray about it. It's some of the most powerful words you can do in helping people grow. So I said, just pray about it. You know, about four months went by and I drove in my cul-de-sac and she motioned for me to, to roll down my window and I rolled down my window and she kind of peeked her head and she goes, okay, I'll do it. And you know, I'm like going, I don't even know what you're talking about. And, you know, and she goes, I'll do it. I'll get baptized. And I go, well, that's great. And she goes, but you have to baptize me. And like, whoa, twist my arm. Okay, okay, I'll do it. And uh, so it was great. And right out here in this pool over here, we baptized her. And it was just an incredible time. And after she came up out of the water, I talked with her and I said, hey, guess what's next? And she goes, what? And uh, I go, your next step. And she goes, how many steps are there? You know, I go, it's a tiny print, but there's one after every one. And she's like going, oh, and I go, you need to jump into um, growing spiritually. And I go, here's what you do. You go jump into your, uh, at that time, her son Danny was four years old. I go, you jump into his uh, Kids Quest class that we do on Wednesdays. And uh, you help there as an assistant. And you can learn kind of like on the kids level. And it'll be great for you. And so uh, that next week she came up to me and uh, she goes, thanks a lot. And I'm going, oh, no, I, I could just tell it was bad. I go, tell me what happened, and it's not that bad. And she goes, well, I was sitting in the class, and they kind of caught them. I jumped her in there in mid-semester. She goes, I was sitting in the class, and uh, the teacher said, uh, uh, they were playing, you know, the Bible, a, a Bible game, and they, they said, um, which book uh, 
I mean, which testament is the book of Jude in, the old or the new? And our new assistant that happens to be with me today, uh, Kathy, is going to answer it. And she's like going, what? And uh, so then her old nature kicked in. She tried to cheat off a kid, and look what he was writing. And the, the boy caught her and said, hey, you can't look on my paper. And I was like, going, oh, no, I'm just like dying. And by the providence of God's spirit, she guessed and got it right. And it's just like, she goes, I'm not going back. I go, oh, no, 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 it, it'll get fixed. And um, so I went and saw that teacher and hit him on the head. What are you thinking? Um, but the point is, is that everybody needs a spiritual next step. Now, what I have noticed in evangelical Christianity is we tend to slide away from the being part of spiritual next steps. But on one page 126, I want you to look at discipleship in your own personal small group. Look at discipleship in your own personal small group and fill out these two boxes. What are we currently doing? And what would be a next step? Page 128 can give you some examples of what you could do in your, small, in your own personal small group. So take a couple of minutes, then we'll jump to the other planner, then we'll get you out of here. Okay, now turn to your neighbor and share with them what's one thing that you're doing in your group and what's one thing that you want to see happen in your group to deepen discipleship. Okay, let me see if I can pull you out here. Now that's discipleship in your personal small group. Now just so we can stay on track, and I'm going to try and get you out of here in a couple minutes, I want you to turn to page 133 and 135. 133 and 135. And what I want you to do is go on page 133 and you see these three, these three squares to fill them in. What's a dream you would have for your small group ministry in the area of discipleship? And we've kind of broken it down there about for the small group member, the small group host and community leader, the small group meeting, or the small group tools and resources. So you can kind of look through there. What's an obstacle and what's a measurable action? What's a measurable action? Take a moment and kind of think through that. And again, if you're not the point person, if you were king or queen for a day, what would you do? What would you do? So focus in and think through what's something that you would dream, what's an obstacle, and what's an action plan. You've been listening to a recording from a small group conference hosted by Steve Gladen at Saddleback Church. Don't forget to check out the planning resources in the show notes as well as the supplementary videos. Also, the full video from the session is available for all access subscribers, along with unlimited churchwide access to courses, digital events, and half off all conferences and in-person events for you and everyone at your church. Check it out at smallgroupnetwork.com. And thanks for listening.